Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for May 14th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we talk cotton crop news with Bill Robertson, cotton agronomist with the University of Arkansas, and we learn more about the poultry industry's COVID-19 problems from Arkansas Farm Bureau's Bruce Tincleave. We also hear about a major food drive being led by the Arkansas Extension Homemakers Council. First up, Keith Sutton discusses Arkansas cotton with Bill Robertson, cotton agronomist with the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service. They talk about planting challenges, comparisons to last year's crop, upcoming weather, and other issues. Welcome to AgCast. This is Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today I am visiting with Bill Robertson. Bill is the cotton agronomist for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service. Welcome again to AgCast, Mr. Bill. Thanks, Keith. It's always a pleasure and fun for me to visit with you on this, and I look forward to it. We we're hearing all kinds of news from farms around the country and, and ranches uh, in the midst of uh, what's going on these days with the COVID-19 pandemic. A lot of us don't have our minds on cotton, but uh, there's some some news out there about what's going on in the cotton world that I know you wanted to share, and we'd like to help you do that. Uh, why don't you kind of give us an update on, on what's going on so that people will have a, a little better feeling for uh, for what's happening in that world. All right. Thanks. <clears throat> I want to start off with is with uh, USDA put out a publication this Monday where they revised our summary on 2019 crop. And uh, they revised our lint yield on an acre basis from 1,102 pounds, which ended up was was about fifth in rank on our on our all-time numbers, to 1,185 pounds, and that moved us up to uh, the number one position uh, for last year in terms of lent yield an acre. You know that surpassed our previous record of 1,177 pounds set in 2017. If we look at the national basis, we were third place in terms of lent yield per acre. Uh, and the only states that beat us were California and Missouri. Missouri had a tremendous crop, but they they uh, they picked about 10 pounds an acre more than we did in Arkansas across the state. And when we look at harvested acres, uh, Arkansas is generally in the number four slot. That's where we were last year. Uh, Texas has so many acres. Georgia has acres uh, surpass us. We're kind of neck and neck with Mississippi. Mississippi had more acres of cotton than, than we did last year. But when we look at bales that were produced, we, we were in the number three slot. Texas and Georgia beat us just primarily because of all their acres, but we beat Mississippi in terms of the number of bales that we produced. Our fiber quality last year was just excellent. A lot of people were, were uh, raving about how good our fiber quality was. But to think back, let's remember that last year uh, that crop went in late. We were only about right. half planted going into the Memorial Day weekend, so we had a late crop. And, uh, and we're kind of following that example right now. So just to think about on where we are this year, uh, Keith, this Monday we were <clears throat> about 20%, 26% planted. And we had planters rolling on Monday. I talked to people. Some of them only got about a half a day in. 
some got a little bit better than half a day in last Monday before rain. And these half-day windows, plant windows, are killing us, man. Uh, the yeah. southern part of the state uh, uh, have a few more. I think they'll have some planters in the field today. Uh, I have a variety test scheduled uh, for uh, tomorrow, which is Thursday, down in Clark County. And I'm hoping to uh, be working with some farmers, plant some variety tests either this Friday or Saturday on the eastern side of the state. And so right now, I think we should probably be approaching about 30% planted, which, again, is pretty well on track with the last year. But, you know, when, when we look at kind of what's going on, last week was was a tough week for cotton growth and development. You know, our air temperatures got really low. But I think our salvation was our bright, sunny days that helped keep the soils warm. And I'm hoping that our sunny days, coupled with our good sea quality that we have this year, will help us get the stand that we need to finish this crop off in a similar fashion to what we saw last year. And this week, and I guess we should say we're taping this on May the 13th, uh, doing this podcast so people have some frame of reference. But we're looking at uh, some more rain moving in. How how bad could that be? What effects might it have if we do get a lot of bad weather this week? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to miss that, but chances are pretty good that, that we're going to get some rain this weekend. And so we just keep having the, the half day, the one day, the two day planting windows to get the crop in. And, you know, if you look at our rule of thumb, which I think pretty well still plays in the hand today, that for every day we plant after May the 20th, we lose about 2% yield potential. And so we still got some time between now and then. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. but, but, but things are going to start getting getting a, a, a little more iffy the later we go. You know, we don't plant cotton in June, but we have plenty of cotton on uh, on May the 35th, May the 37th. Uh, uh-huh. But, you know, as we get later in the season, especially with some of our varieties, some of our more popular varieties tend to be a little a little fuller season uh, than some of the, the very early ones that we plant. Uh, people kind of start shifting away uh, from uh, shifting away to early maturing varieties, and then start maybe shifting shifting to soybeans. And so there's still uh, there's still a lot of decisions to be made on on uh, what's going to get planted in what fields till we till we get it all in the ground. So hopefully hopefully we get some good weather and get our crop in. You know, if you could string us together seven good days in the field, we'd we'd have just we'd have this cotton crop wrapped up. And so hopefully we get that between now and the end of the month, perhaps, and and things will be all good. Uh, that's what we're really hoping for, correct? Oh, exactly. Yes, sir. And no more of that cool weather. <laughs> we had some record-setting yeah. cool weather during this past yeah. week, and uh, we hope that's behind us, too. Yeah, when I look at long-term forecasts and looking at DD60 accumulation five days after planting, we are we are in excellent shape the rest of the month, and we'd expect that. Uh, the you know our, our most limiting factor now after getting getting past those cold temperatures last week is just having dry enough conditions to get a planter in the field. And what other kind of news would you like to share about about the cotton world while we're talking? Well, you know uh, we're we're seeing some new gens come in. Um, oh yeah, you know, I've noticed to, that. I've seen we, several we, new gens that weren't here last year that are, that are going to open up, hopefully, for business this year. Yeah, between Dumas and McGee, you know, we had that win, uh, at Winchester. We had a Wincott gen come in. 
And, uh, you know, they were a little late getting started, which is typical of a, of a new cotton gin. But anyway, I think part of the reason our, our yield estimates were so low is their crop was slower to get gin this year than what it normally is because I know the Wincott gin was still ginning. And the Wilson, uh, the the gin at Wilson was was late uh, getting everything gin. They had a tremendous crop up there, and so uh, we had a lot of cotton that was gin uh, after the first of the year. And we got a new gin going in this year in in White County. Uh, Mr. Tripp's putting in a gin there, and so we're excited to to see. You know, we've got some cotton in, here in Jackson County and in in uh, Woodruff County and White County. It's that having a gin here close is going to be so much so much better for folks, and so we've got got some uh, kind of some good news in terms of of a little bit of build up on our infrastructure in cotton, and so that's all it's all pointed in the right direction. So we we really just need to keep our fingers crossed. Hope this weather situation uh, doesn't hurt things too bad. Uh, maybe get some sunny days, some warmer weather. And we should be in pretty good shape uh, as we roll into fall. Yes, sir. It's just the life of farming, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And you know that very well. You're a farmer as well. You and your wife, correct? Yes, sir. You know we have we have, we're we're livestock and forage based operation. My wife is is uh, really busy with that. Well, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to help us. I know you're uh, trying to get a handle on everything that's going on as planting's happening right now, particularly uh, uh, over in the Delta and South Arkansas. And uh, we thank you for taking time out of your busy day to, to talk to us again, Bill. Thanks, Keith. Anytime, man. All right. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you on another AgCast. Next, Ken Moore talks to Arkansas Farm Bureau's Bruce Tincleave, Commodity Activities and Regulatory Affairs Director and Poultry Division Coordinator. Bruce provides the latest on challenges facing the state's poultry industry during the COVID-19 pandemic, from extended out times for growers to slower production at processing plants. On this edition of AgCast, I'm speaking with Bruce Tincleave, a colleague, and uh, Bruce is the Poultry Division Coordinator for Arkansas Farm Bureau's Commodities and Regulatory Affairs Department. And uh, Bruce, you've been communicating over the last uh, number of weeks with our poultry farmers all across the state, and in fact, you've been involved in some multi-state uh, conversations with your colleagues, uh, colleagues in other states throughout the South about the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on the poultry industry. Uh, we had a conference call with our poultry growers a little over a week ago, and they expressed uh, what's happening with them, their concerns, how it's impacting their operations. Bring our listeners up to date on what's happening within the poultry industry in Arkansas. Well, uh, largely, uh, Ken, the, uh, for the most part, the, the growers throughout the state of Arkansas have not been greatly impacted as of yet. There have been some that have been impacted. Uh, the integrators have stepped up uh, largely and tried to make the, the, the growers who had the extra out time or loss of a flock of birds, they have done uh, their due diligence and, and stepped up to the plate and tried to make them whole as possible. The biggest concern that we're having is what's forward? What's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, a few months down the road? That That's the biggest concern that we're having right now. And, you know, with the market being uh, projected to lose 12 to 15%, 
that definitely will have an impact on all of our producers. And that'll be longer out times. That may be some of them don't get birds back um, to the same volume, same number as they currently have or what their contract may say. Um, you know, some of them, we know that some of them had to do a whole house disposal of birds at this point because there was just no place to go with the with those birds once they were processed, if you could get them processed. We have seen some slowdown in some of the plants that has affected the uh, out times on our producers. We have seen that the uh, slowdown in production, you know, uh, lend to uh, whole house disposal of birds because there's just no place to go with all the all the birds that we're having right now. Um, like I said, the, the big concern we're having right now is, you know, today the integrators are doing a really good job. And how long can they keep it up? And what's going to happen, like I say, in the future? Uh, we have heard some have a few extra days on out time. We had some uh, talk about lower density of birds, um, but they still get birds, but lower density. We actually heard some the other day talk about they were going to uh, slow the rate of growth, so it takes longer to to get a, a bird to the, uh, the, the the poundage that they're that the market wants for them. And all this lends to uh, you know a couple days isn't what affects them but when you start getting out to uh, 30 days 40 days and we've heard as high as 60 days out times that costs you that that flock of birds that extra flock of birds that you should be getting every year and largely that's where your profit is in that last flock of birds that you may have for the year uh, we did have conference calls with uh, other states surrounding arkansas whose whose um poultry is a very uh, vital industry in their state as well, and we're trying to devise a plan to uh, run the Congress that we're all saying the same thing, and um, uh, and and we need to have one voice when we do that. And so that's what we have our state's economist, John Anderson from the University of Arkansas, and other states have their economists as well working on this to try to tell us these are the, going to be the impacts if we do see that 15% loss. We've heard about uh, outbreak of COVID-19 in some processing plants in other states, of course. Uh, Tyson, uh, earlier, uh, several weeks back, uh, it led them to shut down some of their processing facilities in other states. Uh, have we heard at all of any outbreak of COVID-19 within any of our Arkansas processing plants? We have had some outbreak, and um, largely what some of them have done, most of them have done, except for one, uh, they're running at a slower pace throughout the day, but running an extra day to try to make up for some of that loss because of the employees. They're trying to protect the employees as, employees as much as they possibly can to keep everybody safe. And and that, and that sometimes is a, is a uh, obstacle that's, that's hard to overcome uh, because you're, uh, the proximity of some of these employees when you're working on the line together. But they're trying to slow the line down. Uh, spread their people out. They're taking temperatures of people as they before they enter the plant, making sure take all those precautions that whoever enters that plant is as safe as we possibly can have them, or uh, known to be safe. Uh, we have heard of uh, a plant in southern Arkansas with one integrator that is down to about 30% of capacity because they lost so many, uh, had so many people that were were sick and and had the pandemic that it they'd had no choice but to slow things down. So we've had some of that, and like I say, the integrators for the most part have 
uh, tried to go out that sixth day to try to make up for some of that loss. I have heard that some of the integrators are uh, uh, taking care of their growers uh, financially and in other ways because they're aware of the, uh, you know, impact on the grower, on the local farm, uh, on the producer. Kind of talk about how some of these uh, uh, integrators are doing that because they're aware of the uh, stress and pressure it puts on them even to the point of just paying their hired workers. Yes, they've actually done a really nice job. Uh, for the most part, of trying to protect their producers and, and make them as whole as possible with, you know, trying to limit the out time. But when they did get extra out time, they've been compensating them for that. Um, and and if you had to lose, uh, dispose of an entire house of birds, they have paid an average what your last five flocks have been. And so, like I say, at this point, they've done a really good job for the most part. They Like I said, we've heard a couple of them that, that uh, maybe not stepping up to the plate quite as much, but uh, largely in the state of Arkansas anyway, they have they have done their due diligence and, and, and kept up with everything at this point. Um, you know, like I said, the future is the, is the key and the concern for us. How long can they keep that up? Because it's affecting them as well. I, I, you know, we, we, we're in this game together, and, and we have to uh, strive together, and we're going to die together and live together. So... Um, you know, we're going to be working with the Poultry Federation and National Chicken Council and others uh, trying to work through uh, Congress a, a mechanism to, to get our producers some compensation as we go forward with this, uh, uh, as we work through this pandemic. Within the uh, beef complex, uh, I've been told, and I think we've been reading about it, and it doesn't take, you know, just consumers going to the local supermarket to see that uh, the retail cost of, of beef products is going up exponentially uh, quite a bit higher just in the last couple of weeks, and that's a supply chain issue. Uh, are we expecting to see that uh, within the poultry complex as well as far as the retail poultry prices uh, going up, kind of skyrocketing like beef prices have? Actually, I don't think we will, Ken. I think that, like I said, we have products and the processing plants are getting the product out. Uh, we we did see a spike in some of the eggs at one point, but they've come down some, and we may have seen some in the early on when they first, when this pandemic first hit, and everybody was making a mad rush uh, to the grocery stores and trying to fill their freezers up because they didn't know what was going to happen. And like I said, the processors are, are trying to work through all that to make sure there's product out there. And at this point, done a really nice job of trying to keep us, you know, fresh supply of. Of, of, of you know poultry and turkeys and eggs and so on and so forth. Uh, will, will we have some um, situations where we're low on product at some stores? We very well may, but we're, we're hoping and they're hoping as well that they can keep up with that uh, mad rush, so to speak, um, and, and keeping the consumer with the product out there. Well, you've already said it. Uh, the uh, early on effects have been kind of minimal, thankfully, uh, to the grower. And uh, as we've always said and we've been saying for the last two to three months now, there is no shortage of product. Growers are doing what they can on the farm. But because of these extended out times, and that will be felt later into this year, even though the curve may flatten, hopefully, for the virus here pretty soon, and it's already starting to do so in some regards, 
what happens, it's a ripple effect, isn't it, Bruce? And, and down the road, we're, we're really going to start to see the long-term effects of what this has done to our production. Yes, you know, and one of the fortunate things about the poultry side of it, unlike the beef side of it, where it may take months or even years to get an animal in, into the marketplace, poultry is relatively short when you talk about an animal. It takes the laying operation, and it takes that egg to hatch, and it takes 21 days to get that that chick hatched, and then and depending upon what size bird you want out of the uh, um, out of the broiler, it could take, you know, six, seven, eight weeks. And turkeys are obviously, they go to, out to 15, 16 weeks. And, um, but so there, the, the planning that it takes to get, you know, we can empty all those freezers that we have in cold storage in this country right now, uh, you know, sell to or give to um, food pantries and different programs to empty out those freezers. But unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, in two weeks those freezers are going to be full again if we don't plan accordingly. And I think the integrators are trying to guesstimate the best they can what it's going to be like in two weeks, what it's going to be like in four weeks, what's it going to be like in two months. And and so we may have some hiccups in that because we guess wrong. Uh, and it's no fault of anybody because a lot of this is a guess at this point because we're, we're estimating 12%, 15% loss. It could be higher. It could be lower. So, like I said, they're all guesstimates at this point, and everybody's trying to work uh, diligently to try to minimize any disruption to the consumers and well, to our is, growers as well. So, Exactly, exactly. Uh, we got to take care of the growers, and we have – you know, poultry is such a large part of our agriculture industry here in Arkansas. It's the number one phase uh, and component uh, sector, if you will, of agriculture as far as animal ag goes in the state of Arkansas, and uh, we're very fortunate in that regard. But, uh, you know, it does impact the growers we have. You know, I talked to one grower last week who is one of our larger producers. He has like 18 houses on his farm that he's uh, responsible for and you'll see this all throughout the state so it's important that the integrator takes care of them and we hopefully can do whatever we can to not break down the supply chain to get it all the way to the retail market uh these are unprecedented days aren't they bruce you've been following this uh your entire career have you ever encountered anything at all like this before no absolutely not i mean this is unprecedented for everybody and and uh, not on the ag circle, but the entire country. You know, when we had an ice storm several years ago, we lost 600 birds or 600 houses. That, and part of them had birds, and part of them didn't. And part of them were birds ready to go to market, and part of them were young birds. And and we didn't see a disruption in the in the marketplace on on on, on poultry side of things. But that's that's kind of the diversity of that and uniqueness of the poultry industry and how well that they can just swallow up or gobble up 600 houses and the consumer never knows it. With this, it's, it's different in a sense that uh, we, we lost markets and people uh, are unsure of everything. And and like I said, we're trying to, and the industry is trying to outguess what people are trying to, what they're thinking. And that's hard to do at times. So, But we're, we're going to get through this. That's the, the greatness of agriculture in this state and this country. We're going to get through all this together and, and we're going to be all better on the other end, the other side of this when we get through it. Well, we'll keep in touch, Bruce, as we go forward uh, and see, you know, what happens over the next uh, several weeks and couple of months and 
hopefully, uh, you know, this thing will level out and uh, we can slowly start to lessen those out times and uh, and the supply chain can be restored. So, And like you say, they're doing a phenomenal job right now. So hopefully when the listeners to this conversation uh, go to the supermarket, their local grocery store, to buy some good chicken products, some good turkey products, they'll still be able to find them. Absolutely. And I want everybody to understand that we are working tirelessly in trying to uh, make sure that our producers are made whole as possible when they have extra out time, when they lose that batch of birds, or when they have to, to you know, uh, lose that flock for the year. Uh, the entire industry is working together, and it's it, it's 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 a you know a, a um, compliment to the entire industry that they we're working together for the common good of everyone involved. I mean that includes the producer, that includes the consumer. So I just want everybody to know that we are working for all of you, and we're doing the best we can. Hopefully soon we'll have some things come down the pike as far as what Congress may do for us or for them, and. Um, when when it does come through, we'll definitely let them know and and tell them how that process is going to work as well. Well, our government has responded uh, admirably to help protect our nation's agricultural producers uh, through the Payment Protection Program, through the uh, CARES Act, and others. And I appreciate the fact that uh, you have already reached out to and, and others to our uh, local state congressional delegation. They're very aware of what the need is and they're trying to do the best they can to make sure our growers and producers are protected during this pandemic absolutely absolutely all right well thanks bruce for your time i appreciate that very much we've been speaking to bruce tincleave bruce is the poultry division coordinator for arkansas farm bureau on this edition of agcast Finally, Ken has a conversation with Roberta Schenkel, statewide coordinator of the One Million Meals Food Drive, being led by the Arkansas Extension Homemakers Council. Schenkel explains how members of local EHC clubs are working on this effort in their communities, and she explains how the public can help them reach their goal. I'm Ken Moore, and this week I'm speaking with Roberta Schenkel. Ms. Schenkel is a member of the Party Country Ladies Extension Homemakers Council and is also serving as coordinator of the statewide One Million Meals Food Drive, a very special project that the Arkansas Extension Homemakers Council has adopted. And uh, Ms. Schenkel, thank you very much for visiting with us today. Good morning. How are you? Doing great. We're doing great. Uh, As we know, we're uh, well into the situation with this uh, COVID-19 pandemic right now. We've been the whole country's been dealing with this for the last several months. But uh, before we get into the specifics of the food drive, Ms. Shankle, I'd like you, please, uh, for the benefit of our listeners who aren't familiar with the uh, Extension Homemakers Council, explain just who you are, what it is, and, and how many ladies are involved in this. You've got a lot of ladies all over the state involved in ESC, don't you? Yes, we do. Um, we have 320 clubs. We have a presence in every county in the state. We have over 3,700 members. And last year, we donated over 325,000 volunteer hours. So we, we are a volunteer, uh, volunteer group. We take on community projects, whether it be 
uh, making face masks or the one million meals. Uh, I do want to just compliment our ladies just off the subject of the one million meals. Uh, in the past, since the, the pandemic was announced on March 12th, we have made almost 30,000 masks and, the, and distributed them through the state. Wow. So we've been a we're a community service group. We're over a hundred year over a hundred years old. Um, the we work under the umbrella of the University of Arkansas Extension Service. So we have there's just so much going on. I you know we we're just spread out and but we've chosen the one million meals. Um, food insecurity in Arkansas. We just it's, it was terrible before the pandemic, and now it's horrible. Um, we were like number, like 20, I mean, excuse me, 17% of our population does not know where their, their next meal is coming from. And we were number two in food insecurity in the nation. So, you know, we surely don't want to be number one, but with the pandemic, we're... Your local pantries are closing. There's no food. So it's really important when we had already planned to have a big food drive, but the pandemic closed that. But so far, we've already we've already donated over 6,000 hours, and this is just reported January, February, and March. Um, over 6,000 hours we have already donated working in local pantries. Some 2,500 pounds of food been donated, and around $3,000. So we were just getting our feet on the ground and getting started with our project, and then everything had to kind of be put on hold. So we're hoping that with your help and the help of people that hear this, that we will be able to raise our one million meals. Now I understand this is a long-term project. Uh, you know, it can easily uh, move forward into uh, even next year. But uh, how exactly uh, are you uh, – I know you're receiving donations. I'm sure financial donations, food donations. Exactly how are you collecting the money and the food? Okay, so we are collecting the food right now. The food pantries were having to quarantine the food for 14 days because of the pandemic. So we moved everything online, and you can go to uh, – I always get, have to stumble over this – uaex.edu slash ehc. And there's a um, form there, a little survey that you can take and pledge your money. Then when you put your counting in, it'll just tell you uh, – take you right to your food bank link. And you can donate online or you can mail your money in. We just ask that if you mail your money in that you also contact, you know, send a copy to me or pledge it online so that we have some way to track that money. Really, uh, we want to track that money because that's the way we realize how we make our goal. For every 1.2 pounds of food that's donated, that's considered one meal. For every dollar that's donated, depending on which food bank you donate to, it can buy four to ten meals. So if you're donating in northwest Arkansas, 
you would get, for every dollar you donated, you would get 10 meals. If you were donating in central Arkansas, every donation, $1 is four meals. So it just, you know, it depends on where you're at and, and uh, how much support they get of the state food banks get from other areas as to how many meals can be provided. But they can do much more with that $1 than I can do going to the grocery store and buying food for people. Well, that's pretty phenomenal that uh, $1, uh, as you say, can provide anywhere from four to ten meals depending on where uh, the donor is is living or located. Uh, So $1 goes a long, long way to helping feed the hungry. Yes, it does. And, you know, I I did a little demo at one of our meetings we had, and I just had a little bucket there, and I went uptown, and I had about $11 worth of food. And I could feed, and that was no meat. That was just canned items and pastas and stuff like that. No fresh vegetables, just $11. I could buy, you know, and I could feed a family of four for one meal. If I had sent that to... The North Central Arkansas Food Bank, that's in the area that I'm in, I could have bought 77 meals. And I always, it just blows my mind that that they can use, they have that buying power and they can share that all through the state. Well, Ms. Shankle, it sounds like this is an outstanding project uh, and the need is very great right now as we've already kind of documented uh, because of the number of people who are unemployed, the number of students who are out of school, even though they may be at home with their families, they were guaranteed a couple of meals a day at school, and the parents even depended upon that. So now uh, if the parent's unemployed, that's even putting more stress on families to feed their families. That's why this food drive is so important, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, we had planned um, the a statewide food drive on the 25th of April, which we had to cancel due to the uh, pandemic. And so we, our theme had been for that was packing up for the summer. There's always a tremendous demand in the summer because the children are out of school and not getting the meals at school, and they don't have the backpack program. So we were hoping to collect food outside the stores and um, just, help as much as we could. Um, there's other ways, you know, you can always donate your fresh, uh, your excess vegetables to your local pantry. They will share those with the, the with their um, clients. If you're a hunter in the fall and you, and you have extra deer meat or you kill a deer and you don't need the meat, take it to a local processor and let them process that and that's the only wild game that can be shared with the food bank. Um, you know, there's just lots of way to help. Collecting money is, is what we're trying to do right now. So we're asking that people go to uaex.edu slash ehc and pledge to donate some money to one of our six pantries in Arkansas. And you can donate to the one that services your area. And remember that all donations can buy anywhere. Any Every dollar that you donate can buy between four to ten meals. 
Well, that's fantastic. And I applaud uh, you and the many, many, many women who are uh, voluntarily serving with their local extension homemakers councils. Uh, this is quite an ambitious project, but one that is very needed right now. So, Ms. Shankle, uh, on behalf of all of us and, and, and the people of Arkansas, we're in this together. We, there are other food drives I know that are underway, uh, but uh, we appreciate this, this drive as well because, as you said earlier on in our visit, uh, Arkansas ranks number two in food insecurity, and uh, even though we may have food on our tables at home, there are many who don't, and they wonder where that next meal is going to come from. And so hopefully you will be very successful in, uh, in you know, realizing your goals. Well, we hope we will too, and we, you know, that's why we're asking for people to help support us. You know, it's a big project. We um, we want to include everybody. Just because you're, if you're not an EHC member, you could be one. It's not just women, and we want everyone, you know, to donate. It doesn't. Everyone at some time has thought man, I just wish there was something I could do to help. And this is your, this is easy. Just think, $5 could buy 20 meals. Or it could buy 50 meals. So I'm skipping McDonald's every month. (laughs) (laughs) All you got to do is, that's what I tell people, you just put it in terms that you can understand. You just say, okay, well, today I'm going to skip that this is the day I would normally get KFC. Well, I'm not going and spending that $9 at KFC. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to send it to the food bank. And there's also the, I know every food bank has set up that you can do a um, something that's really simple and easy. That's where I do all of my stuff, is you pay, you set up and you do a monthly automatic draft. You pay $10 a month. That's $120 a year. Um, not many of us, you know, my theme is if I don't get it in my hand, I don't miss it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Good. somebody else can use it. But, uh, but we really do appreciate you inviting us to be on the podcast. And um, we hope that everything continues. We hope that, I just hope everybody stays safe and we continue to our rates, our cases continue to decline. Exactly. Um, That's right. Well, we're hoping that, as they say, the, we'll flatten the curve. And here in Arkansas, we're very fortunate that the uh, pandemic, uh, the outbreak, wasn't nearly as severe in some other states. And uh, we're fortunate in that regard. And I believe we're going to start seeing things open back up again. As we know, uh, the governor is allowing uh, restaurants to open up on a limited basis for eat-in dining again. Uh, so that'll help with the unemployment situation as well as feeding people perhaps a little bit right. more. But uh, this drive is still very, very important. We're going to be living under the influence and the effects of this pandemic for months to come. So this food drive yes. is, is really, really important. Well, we appreciate all that you're doing for us. Thank you, Ms. Shankle. We've been speaking with uh, Roberta Shankle, the uh, statewide coordinator of the Extension Homemakers Council One Million Meals Food Drive that's ongoing right now in Arkansas. And again, just one final reminder, if you would like to participate and donate to this cause, go to the website that they have there, UA 
ex.edu slash ehc, and then you'll find the uh, link and the ability to donate to this all-important food drive. Thank you so much, Ms. Shankle. Thank you. We've been speaking with Roberta Shankle on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. That's it for this edition of Arkansas AgCast. We're back next week with the latest news and updates about the state's largest industry.